I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson, and it is time to preview week two of the NFL. You ready to go, Sam? Let's go. You were fresh off of uh, Mina Kimes' podcast yesterday. I saw that uh, you were the, you were her special guest. Is that right? Yeah, um, and she's rivaling our podcast for you know length for uh, stamina. It was yeah. it was quite an enterprise. Well, hope you have enough energy to get through the six-hour podcast here today as we preview all the week two uh, the week two action. Man, we're gonna we're gonna go through the whole thing. Uh, we're gonna pick every game against the spread as we did last week, but hopefully with uh, better results. Not a good start to the season for me, and uh, just uh, purely average for you. Yeah, I I went eight and eight. You would you you would kill for eight and eight. You went five and eleven. Yeah, look, I I started slow last year as well. It's true. You know, week one's a toss up. You don't know, but now we got some information to work with, so I'm gonna bounce back this week in our picks and we're going to start you know tracking the picks of our special guests we had jordan rodrigue uh, or rodrigue rather on the show yesterday she for thursday night football uh is picking the chiefs as am i and you've gone the other way you're going with the chargers yeah i'm taking the chargers so that uh that previews all a part of the pff nfl daily plus yesterday's pff nfl podcast i thought jordan was fantastic on the show so be sure to listen to that if you have not already Before we get into the action, just want to remind you that PFF now has an app. You get access to industry-leading fantasy football advice, PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, the latest premium football analysis. It's all in the palm of your hand with the PFF app, so be sure to download that. When you sign up, leave us a five-star review, and it's not too late to leave a 2022 Super Bowl prediction. We'll go through those at some point and shout out our favorite ones. So be sure to check that out, the PFF app live in the app store all right man you ready to get through this yep let's go go through not get through let's go through it starting with tampa bay bucks at the new orleans saints the bucks are favored by two and a half despite in the tom brady era going oh for oh and four against the saints in the regular season that losing streaks back i think seven games total between the bucks and saints the bucks did beat the saints in the 2020 playoffs but this is one of those where the matchup just always seems to go the Saints' way. They match up well defensively. They get pressure on Brady. They make big plays offensively. The The Saints have had the Bucks number, so the big question every every time these teams play, how much does the past matter when looking now to the future? Yeah, the, these this is one of those um, you know streaks of history that you have to decide whether or not you're buying or whether you're you're going against. By the way, this is a... You know, fun little inside baseball thing here. There's something wrong with the connection between my ear, this little box, and then you. And it's a total lottery as to whether it's going to be quiet or whether, you know, you're going to get turned up to 11 and Stopsky deafened. So it's a nice little Russian roulette thing with my eardrums we got going on here at the moment. (laughs) Um, Anyway. I love it. Tampa Bay. Yeah. Like So to me, the most interesting thing to come out of this game or to the most interesting thing to focus on for this game, you look at how that Tampa Bay defense is playing right now, 
and you look at what the interior of that defensive line looks like, they've got Vita Vea alongside Akeem Hicks, and they're like, oh, we can play too high coverage because we have about 1,000 pounds worth of monstrous defensive tackle in the middle, and you're not going to run up there. Um, and those guys are going up against New Orleans Saints interior that's actually pretty bad now, whether it's Andres Pete, who I've never understood why he got paid a big contract, his, his – He's working on like five straight years of substandard PFF grading. You've got Cesar Ruiz at the other guard spot who has been a bust at this point. Um, And I liked that draft pick at the time. I think it was a smart sort of contingency pick, long-term focused thing. Um, He's been bad. And then Eric McCoy, they just handed a ton of money to. and, And he's fine, but isn't kind of good enough to offset the bad either side of him. That trio going up against those two monsters for Tampa Bay feels like a big win for Tampa Bay and that lets them do all the other things they do on defense which is how they combat you know your passing game which is how they can rush off the edge I I feel quite a strong kind of uh, quite a strong advantage for the Tampa Bay defense yeah the Bucks defense was fantastic on Sunday night against the Dallas Cowboys I know the story coming out of that game for the Cowboys was Dak Prescott being hurt but If Dak had not gotten hurt late in the game, we'd be talking about how inept the Cowboys offense was and and be asking, okay, how much is that the Cowboys offense and their lack of firepower at the receiving position and all that stuff? But how much was the Bucs? I mean, they were flying around, uh, you know, Devin White making plays, Levante David making plays. We know they have speed at linebacker. They've got a good, solid secondary. And as you said, uh, Akeem Hicks, who's been um, a little up and down in recent years, but when he's healthy is is really good. And you've got that combination up front and what the Bucs were able to do um, with their defensive line against the Cowboys uh, was impressive the other night. So can the Bucs defense keep it up? They also played a lot of press coverage in Tampa Bay. And um, they did that the other night where they've had, they've had bouts under Todd Bowles where they play a little softer. They give up some of the underneath stuff. They were aggressive uh, the other day. But that's going to be a challenge, man, I think, against the Saints. I mean, I mentioned you know, when the Saints got down against the Falcons – it was all right. We have like we invested in Jarvis Landry. We have Michael Thomas back. We spent the first round pick on Chris Olave. We have guys to throw to now. And when they started to get a little bit more aggressive in the second half, Jameis, you know, spreading it around the yard, they can move the ball. So the Bucks pressure up front, and then the 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 defensive backs for the Bucks against the Saints wide receivers. Definitely some great matchups to watch. Yeah. Um, what do you? How do you think that we're going to get? Jameis Winston in that passing attack this week, given the up, you know, given the improvement of defense they're going to be going up against. I still think they're going to be good. I mean, I I think they'll again. I use the word aggressive a lot when it comes to Jameis, but I, I think he's going to push the ball down the field. I trust you know what when Michael Thomas is usually a guy who creates separation, but we saw even when he was in tight coverage, Jameis is trusting him and zipping it in there, and you know, Michael Thomas showing those good hands and ball skills. I think it's going to come down to some of those contested catches and some of those aggressive throws. Which way are they going to go? I I think the Saints are going to have some success on that secondary because even if that mismatch that you said is true, we we know that you you, even if you put pressure a lot, there's still going to be plenty of clean pockets to throw to. And I think the Saints playmakers, they have what it takes to um, to put points on the board. So I think I think the Saints are going to get theirs. You know, I think they're going to get their 21 points at least, whatever it might be, and. On the other side, the pressure's back on Brady and the offense and uh, basically a mash unit of wide receivers that they need against a team that does a really good job 
matching up with the Bucks' offense, taking away the middle of the field, and forcing the Bucks to win one-on-one matchups on the outside, which they just haven't done consistently enough against the Saints. Yeah, I think the Bucks are going to want to run the ball a lot in this game. Uh, their offensive line is beat up. They're going to want to protect them by run blocking rather than pass protecting. They are their receivers are banged up, so all of a sudden, you know, Mike Evans might be the main kind of healthy receiver for them, and Mike Evans typically gets taken away by Marshawn Lattimore. Like if that happens again in this game, you're pretty quickly running out of options in the passing game for Brady to turn to. So whether the Saints can stop the run the way we think the Bucks can stop the run, I think it's going to be a pretty important part of this game because I suspect you're going to see a much more run-heavy approach for the Bucks offense than we're typically used to. I think we're going to see uh, Chris Godwin out. I think he's the most serious of the injuries when it comes to receivers. Yeah. Evans is banged up, but probably going to play, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julio Jones missing practice at the moment as we speak right now, but I think he'll be okay as well. Uh, Russell Gage, you know, that, that that's why the depth that the Bucks invested in this offseason is so crucial because they're just, I think they're just trying to get through the first half, man. They're, they're trying to get to the second half of the season, get to the playoffs, right? Get to the playoffs and say, Hopefully we're fully loaded and we'll go from there. Um, the Bucks definitely, uh, after a year where Brady led the league in passing attempts and they and they they threw more than any team other than the Chiefs uh, and maybe the Bills on second and long, and they, and they did a lot of the analytically sound, made a lot of good analytically sound decisions as far as run pass ratio and stuff like that, um, all leading to the to the best off the, the most points in the NFL last year on offense it does seem like they want to slow it down a little bit, that they want to run the ball. And I don't think that was a Cowboys driven game plan. So I think you're right. The Bucks do want to throw, uh, do, they do want to run the ball, put a little bit less pressure on Brady, but they got to, I think they got to run more play action off of that. Only a handful of play action snaps the other night. And, you know, we know that's, we know how passing offenses thrive off of play action. I think, you know, Chris mentioned it. He's like, hey, this play action set up for the rest of the year. The Bucks are running like crazy tonight on Sunday Night Football. So Bucks have to figure out how to create some chunk plays, create some space, because we always have this Mike Evans, Marshawn Lattimore matchup. Having Julio, though, Sam, does that does that put the Saints in a bind now? Is that this is where Julio Jones comes in, right? Even if Mike Evans gets taken out of the game like he has historically, do you have you have Julio on the other side who still looks really good? Well, that's the thing. I think it depends if you get the guy we got in week one or if this was the start of banged up Julio again, which is what yeah. we've seen the last couple of years. You know, when he's played a, a reasonable amount through injuries and through stuff that maybe should have kept him off the field. And when he's that guy, he's just not the same. So if they get Julio Jones from week one, that's huge. I mean, he looked absolutely phenomenal. He looked back to being the guy that he was in Atlanta. If he's a viable threat opposite Mike Evans, that's huge, particularly because it immediately puts him in a bind of, I mean, which guy do you put Marshawn Lattimore on? Because remember, Lattimore had a ton of one-on-one, you know, battle royales with Julio Jones back when he was with the Falcons and did a pretty good job against him as well. So immediately you go, well, do you want Lattimore trying to take away Julio Jones or do you want him trying to take away a slightly gimpy Mike Evans? Like, which is the best thing? Um, If he isn't, though, if he's not that guy and it's like, well, Julio's out there, but he's not really 100% healthy and he's kind of going through the motions, then you're just just back to this stage of, like, you don't really have the, the receiving horses right now. And then just like you said, hey, the Saints might have a weakness on the offensive line. The the Bucks are banged up there, right? Donovan Smith's been yeah, he's hurt. Josh Wells came in and got whooped by Micah Parsons twice. They had to give him help. Luke Gotticky at left guard, uh hit or miss in in his debut. 
this is not the same Bucks offensive line. And even when they had their really good offensive line the last couple of years, the Saints still had the be- got the better of them up front. So looking at for Marcus Davenport, Cameron Jordan, they're they're long pass rushers to maybe have some success against this Bucks offensive line. So two and a half points. The Bucks are favored. So Vegas is saying on the road, the Bucks are the favorite despite the history. Where are you going in this one? Yeah, I'm buying into that. I think the Bucs are a better team, even with the injuries. I think they match up well with that defensive front. I think they're going to cause New Orleans' offense major issues, which itself, you know, it had some struggles with Atlanta's defense, which has been terrible the last couple of years. So, yeah, I, it's, I'm concerned. I don't like the injuries that Tampa Bay have been picking up. And I think they're right on the edge of, like, this is a major problem as opposed to just something we can get through. But I think fundamentally – drink they're a they're a better team than than the saints uh i was just talking to some people about our like same words that we say all the time fundamentally for you and the other things that i say all the time um i'm buying into history man i'm buying into history the the saints have they've struggled a ton against the falcons and then they come back and you know look like the super bowl champs against the bucks all the time i think it's going to continue i think the bucks offensive line as a weakness is is going to be an issue and um, I like the I like the Saints playmakers. I like the Saints to to cover the two and a half and win again against the Bucks here. You're trying to claw and, it all back in one week or or bury yourself after two weeks of the season. I know we are differing on the first two games, so we'll uh, we'll see if I can bridge the gap. The NFL's opening weekend was action-packed, and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. If you want even more action, well, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. And if your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See description for details. All right, Sam, we've got a weird Monday night football doubleheader in week two. I don't remember. I mean, they've never done this, I don't think, in week two. But for years, you had the doubleheader week one. And in the second game was late night, you know, 10 Eastern or whatever it was. This is two almost simultaneous games one of which will be the game we're talking right now, the Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. A battle for the number one seed in the NFC is what's happening here in week two. Eagles favored by two at home, and both teams coming off of, I would say, impressive week one wins. Certainly for the Vikings, even though the Eagles only won by three, they had that game pretty much in hand against the Lions. What are you looking for in this one? Um, so Jordan Davis against Frank Ragnow was a really fun one-on-one battle week one. Um and Davis, Davis pretty much won. Uh, he also, anytime he went one-on-one with, uh, with the replacement for Vitae, whose name I'm blanking on right now, Stenberg or something. Um, Logan Stenberg, yeah. Yeah, when, when he went one-on-one with him, he just killed him, destroyed him immediately. Uh, but Ragnar was kind of able to give as good as he got, showed some plays where he was able to gain position and, and physically contain Jordan Davis. Frank Ragnar might be the best center in the NFL. Uh, Garrett Bradbury is not, and he's very not. So he's an undersized center 
that's never been able to actually do well at the things that undersized centers are good at. You know, like Jason Kelsey is an undersized center. Jason Kelsey's movement skills are absurd. He's always in the right position. He uses that speed and movement to be able to get out in space, block you off, get in your way, all those kinds of things. Consequently, it doesn't really matter that in a one-on-one bull rush, he can't necessarily hold up against a dude that is 350 pounds. Um, Bradbury doesn't do any of that well, really. Jordan Davis is going to destroy him. And, you know, Davis only had 20, 22 snaps, something yeah, like that. For 22 snaps, Sam, but, for 22 snaps. But they'll scale that up. Like, if you have this le- you know, every week there's a few one-on-one matchups in the trenches, again, where you're like, that can change the outcome of this game. And usually it's like Miles Garrett against a rookie left tackle. You're like, okay, that's, that's a nightmare immediately on paper. This is as big a, ma- a mismatch in Philadelphia's favor as that, uh, uh, in Philadelphia's favor, but they specifically had that guy not playing a ton in the first game. They would be insane if they didn't recognize this and say, Jordan Davis is going to play a lot more in this game and wreck the interior of the Vikings offensive line. And it isn't just Bradbury, you know, rookie uh, Ed Ingram, uh, right guard, that that's just about as big a mismatch. Left guard is Ezra Cleveland, who's not a bad player, but is that sort of under, not even undersized, but slightly more slightly built uh, finesse type of guard used to be a college left tackle. I just, that group looks like they're going to get decimated again by Jordan Davis. Look at the back-to-back games, and you're all about the interior trenches, man, yeah. giving people to, something to, something fun to look at here. Um, I was, I'm going to take a look at that Vikings pass rush as well. By the way, the Jordan Davis thing, is he playing 24 snaps because that's what he did at Georgia? I mean, this was the question. We were talking about this on draft night. Guys never played over 450 snaps in a season. Uh, is he ever going to be a 40-snap type of guy? Can he do that? Are you limited to him being 25, 30 snaps? Which is fine if that's what your expectations are, but it's about half the game. You know, a lot of defensive tackles are playing three-quarters of the game, if not more. So that's uh, his workload, Jordan Davis, definitely something I'm looking for keep an eye on i mean he earned the lowest volume of snaps of the four defensive tackles that the eagles used in that game like they had fletcher cox javon hargrave obviously the two starters um jordan davis and then milton williams those were the three and or the four rather and jordan davis had 22 snaps milton williams had 33 javon hargrave 38 uh fletcher cox had 39 so every the other three guys are getting 15 snaps more than Jordan Davis. You, that, right, which no makes reason. it a weird matchup to highlight, Sam. It's that big a mismatch. Even even if he only plays 20 snaps against the Vikings, those 20 snaps will be 20 wins against Garrett Bradbury. And that's a pretty important thing in a, in a game of 50, 60 snaps. Little extreme from you there, a little extreme. But I, I was impressed with the Vikings on the other side. You know, after years of Mike Zimmer and his pretty classic 4 3 look, you've got the Vikings mixing it up a little bit. Danelle Hunter coming off the edge. Zaria Smith there. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson had a good week one. Harrison Phillips coming in. I'm not saying this is the Bills in their depth, but they're rolling They're rolling deep here of defensive linemen in Minnesota. And I think that uh, for a team that has been uh, lacking pass rush and a little top-heavy, this is a really good matchup. Uh, defense has been top-heavy as far as lacking the depth. Really good matchup against the Eagles offensive line. Got to get a you you have to you have to cover a lot as far as or, or you have to handle a lot as far as the run concepts the QB run game and now we know what AJ Brown 
on the outside. There's a lot for the Minnesota Vikings defense to handle, but I was impressed with what they did week one against the Packers. Um, I forgot Tui Pilatu as well, by the way. He played 29 snaps, so fifth uh, most snaps of that defense tackle group, Jordan Davis, in week one. I think they'd be crazy if that maintained into... Free Jordan Davis, man. Free Yeah, Jordan absolutely, Davis. into week two. Um, yeah, I, you know, the... The Eagles defense, I think, has some very good players on it, even if they gave up a ton of points and yards to the Detroit Lions. I'm curious to see what their strategy of trying to shut down Justin Jefferson is relative to Green Bay's, which was there were a few fairly suicidal game plans in week one. The Cardinals we talked about. I think the Packers was another one of them. Um, I wonder what adjustments the Eagles will make off the back of that game, you know, scouting what the Packers did and saying, we can't have that happen to us. What are we going to do to change that? Uh, Kirk Cousins, I, I don't even know if he missed a throw the other day. But well. st- what, uh, highest accuracy percentage in the league as far as our uh, you know b- actual ball location data and good decisions. I thought you know when they got Jordan Jefferson on the big 64-yarder, just a pocket movement in the field, Kirk Cousins played extremely well against the Packers. And it does feel like Cousins, who who likes to work the underneath stuff, they take their shots over the top. But I do like this matchup for the Vikings offense against the Eagles defense. The Eagles defense that last year, how many, remember the six straight games, they were allowing 80-plus percent completion percentage early in the year. I'm not, they weren't that defense all year, but I think this this has the makings of Cousins if he continues to just make good decisions and they don't get a ton of pressure on him. Um, if there's pressure, you might that might force Cousins into those bad decisions. But yeah, uh, if the Eagle, uh, sorry, if the Vikings hold up up front, I, I can see Cousins uh, just picking them apart up and down the field. That's why I think that's such a big matchup. It's like, yeah, if you, if Kirk Cousins stays uh, unmolested in this game, the Eagles' secondary, their their back seven is probably going to have some issues with that offense. But if whether or not it's Jordan Davis, if Jordan Davis or the rest of that Eagles' defensive line, which is pretty formidable can go to town on Minnesota's offensive line, that kind of undermines the whole shebang. Well, I love this matchup, man. It's two teams that uh, the the Vikings were close to the playoffs last year. The Eagles snuck into the playoffs last year. Uh, Our old friend uh, Pete Prisco from uh, CBS Sports, uh, he would never overreact to anything, but he went to like three training camps, and these were two of them. And, you know, I think the Saints were the other one. He's like, oh, they're all going to the playoffs because I saw them. But but I think Pete and some other people, they're liking – both teams, right? The Vikings, uh, a few of the roster moves that they've made, the fact that they were close, the Eagles, we've been raving about them over these last few weeks. It is one of the best matchups of the week. Eagles favored by two. Uh, Jalen Hurts on the other side as well. Like I said last week, I thought he played well, but when A.J. Brown can go out there and catch 150, have 155 of your 243 receiving yards, you're not doing that every week, but there's a few games where it's the A.J. Brown show, and that is just an amazing option to have now for this Eagles offense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Eagles offense has been transformed with the addition of A.J. Brown. I want to see what happens. You know, I want to see more with um, with Devontae Smith. You know, he didn't have a particularly strong game, and that was one of the things I've been talking about with A.J. Brown's addition is the knock-on effect that he can have, not just the production that he brings himself, but what that does to open up space for these other guys. So I'm, I'm all for it. All right. Where are you going in this one? Minnesota at the Eagles. Eagles favored by two. Uh, I'm going to go with the Eagles. I, I'm, oh boy. I expected their 
you know, sort of dominant offense in their week one performance more than I expected Minnesota's. Therefore, I'm siding with my priors a bit more and saying that Minnesota is more likely to come down to earth in week two. So my um, my general week one to week two take is that the uh, the week one road teams are generally underrated uh, because it's harder to play on the road and, and you, you, you come off those feels. So the Vic- the the Eagles are coming home. The Vikings are going on the road. Normally, I would take the team that's going home, um, but I like the Vikings, man. I'm not going to over. I'm not overreacting to Week One, but I like the way they played defensively. I, I know the Packers looked out of sorts, but I think Cousins playing really well this last year plus, especially. And I think that matchup against the the Eagles defense will favor Minnesota and what they want to do offensively. So give me the Vikings to uh, as the underdogs to cover the uh, the two points here against the Eagles. Okay. All right, let's go. Miami Dolphins at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens favored by three and a half. A couple other uh, teams that are 1-0 right now. Ravens, they didn't ex- exactly destroy the Jets last week, but they did pull away. Whereas the Dolphins, uh, another game similar where they didn't, uh, it's not that they dominated the New England Patriots, but pretty much had it in hand. Uh, defense played a solid game. Patriots couldn't get out of their own way as far as pass protection goes and, and some breakdowns. But uh, Miami and Tyreek Hill, Tua, all that speed against Baltimore and their blitz-heavy defense. What are you looking for in this one? Um, remember, Miami was the team that deployed that crazy, like, cover zero blitz defensive game plan against Lamar Jackson and absolutely wrecked the Ravens because of it. So this it, was this was Thursday night football, and they, they would basically play four across yeah. in their secondary. They brought safety Javon Holland a bunch, and they would just bring seven. Over yeah. and over and over again, and the Ravens didn't have an answer. Didn't have an answer. Um, and okay, different coaching staff, different setup in Miami now. But at the very minimum, that should be featured early on in the game plan and see what happens, you know? Like, yeah. you have to ask the question whether they figured that out yet because it was such a conclusive beatdown schematically. Like, they absolutely had Baltimore's number in that game, and the Ravens did not have a solution to that game plan. Lamar Jackson did not have a solution to that game plan. You have to find out if they found one out between now and then. The thing that didn't make sense about that to me, I just want, I want to go back in time a little bit further. Lamar was a rookie in 2018. He played about half the season. Ravens win a ton of games. Lamar's inconsistent as a QB. Week one of 2019, Lamar's MVP season, they played the Dolphins. And I think the Dolphins... Uh, under Brian Flores, had the same strategy that year. They were like, hey, we're going to zero blitz this guy. Um, and it backfired. The Ravens destroyed the Dolphins. That was when Minka Fitzpatrick, remember, he was a Dolphin at one point. He's playing in the slot. He's getting destroyed by Mar- Marquise Brown over the top. The zero blitz strategy against Lamar has been has been wrecked by Lamar at times. But for whatever reason, last year, the Ravens were unprepared for what the Dolphins had thrown at him with, with, with a much lesser roster, mind you. But it was, you know, two years earlier. Yeah. So there's a few things there, I think. One, that phrase at times is doing a lot of legwork in that that, you know, statement because That's why yeah, I use it. I mean it's it's a risky strategy. Anytime you send the house, if they if it gets picked up or if they get the ball in the air early enough, you could be in trouble. And so, you know, there's a reason teams don't do that all the time, because it's risky as hell. But if you do succeed with it it's stifling and in that game they absolutely succeeded with it number two you know we talked about how suicidal it is to blitz Patrick Mahomes because in his career 
He's got a PFF grade of 93, essentially. Um, 55 touchdowns, seven interceptions, a passer rating of 120. Like, all these things, the numbers are nuts. And doesn't put, does, put, doesn't put the ball in harm's way. A turnover-worthy play rate of 1.9%. All the numbers for Lamar Jackson are way different. Like, blitzing Lamar in his career... And I'm not even looking at his rookie season. This is just in the the 2018 on, or 20 yeah 2018 onwards, um, 19 sorry uh, 63.3 PFF grade, uh, a turnover worthy play rate of 3.3 percent. Only two more big time throws than turnover worthy plays. Uh, pass rating that's you know 30 points lower than Mahomes. Adjusted completion rate that's almost 10 percent lower. Like the numbers across the board say you're, you have a way better chance blitzing Lamar than you do blitzing Patrick Mahomes. And then I th- also think you know, there's, a, there's a key difference between just blitzing and sending the house, you know, cover zero blitz, where you're sending seven guys and somebody will be free. Um, and that was the thing that the Ravens didn't have an answer to in that game. And, of course, you need the horses on the back end to be able to do that. And Miami has you know, done a, a good job in terms of spending in the secondary to try and make sure they do. Uh, the the Ravens, once again, banged up in the secondary. Kyle Fuller uh, out for the season at corner. And look, I, I always think the Ravens do a really nice job of building that depth in the secondary. But now it's you know Brandon Stevens perhaps starting. Uh, Jalen Armour Davis is a rookie out of Alabama in the mix there. But you do have Marcus Peters back. You still have Marlon Humphrey. But part of liking the Ravens every year was like, man, they are three deep at corner. That's awesome. That is a great way to build a team. I always mention both both tactically on a week-to-week basis and strategically because you need depth, you know, throughout the year. The the tactics of matching up with the Dolphins, if they had a Kyle Fuller, I would have I would have loved to see that, right? Because you do have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, and the Ravens like to play their man coverage and everything. So um, there are some weaknesses back there, though, and just something to really keep an eye on for the Ravens because that's what crushed them last year. They had, you know, practice squatters out there against the Packers at, you know, at, at, in, in the secondary last year. They got to stay healthy on the back end there. So um, we mentioned Tua's game statistically 104 passer rating last year, uh, last week, but had some ugly misses and in a, in a throw uh, pretty much directly to the defense that he got away with in the fourth quarter. So got to keep an eye on uh, Tua and his, his ability to take care of the ball but I'm loving the Dolphins, man. I'm loving the Dolphins and the speed, and I'm blinded by it. And even though they didn't light up the scoreboard in week one, I think they're going to have some success against this Ravens team. Yeah, uh, I think I'm with you. I think their offense can still have success. I worry a little bit about the offensive line injuries, and this is applicable to both teams. Um, so like, I kind of like the under here more than anything else. But Miami's both tackles are banged up. Baltimore still don't have Ronnie Stanley healthy. They lost Juwan James in the first game, so they're down to the third-string left tackle. Like, all of a sudden, the injuries on the O-liner is mounting up for both teams. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum, the center that we loved, you know, the knock on him was, can he hold up against monstrous behemoth interior defensive tackles? He got driven back quite a bit in that first game in one-on-one situations. He's going But they up. pulled him a bunch, but they pulled him into space. Sure. But anytime he was left like one-on-one against a big, powerful interior defensive lineman, it was like exactly what the concern people had about him, you know, was. That was evident. That was exactly what you saw. He's going up against some big defensive players in Miami. I think the Dolphins match up pretty well. Dolphins have a sneaky good defensive line. They really stepped it up last year. Guys like Christian Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, Emmanuel Ogba. 
Uh, they, they've got all sorts of pass rushers with Jalen Phillips and uh, Andrew Van Ginkle, of course. So, yeah, I, I liked what the Dolphins have done with their front uh, as far as rushing the pass or playing the run. Yeah, I'm going Dolphins, man. Um, need Tua to play better. I don't think. I think if he plays that same game, misses the throws that he missed last week, puts the ball in harm's way, it's going to be trouble. But I'll take the Dolphins and what they're doing offensively to uh, to cover the three and a half at least against the Ravens. All right, First Arizona Cardinals. On, right? uh, hold on, you are you confirmed? You're also in on the Dolphins. Yeah, I, this is the first one we're we're on the same page with, right? It's about time. It's about time we agreed about something. All right, let's go Arizona Cardinals at the Las Vegas Raiders. Two teams, uh, 0-1. Arizona last year, I always reference week one last year. Arizona was you know, looked like a Super Bowl team in week one last year. They looked like the worst team in the league last week against the Chiefs. Um, Arizona, they are they flipping everything, Sam? You know, the uh, the early, the, the quick start. Instead, it's going to be a slow start here in Arizona going against the Raiders. Uh, Derek Carr coming off of a five turnover worthy play game. He's dropping the ball. He's fumbling in the pocket. At the same time, you saw what Devontae Adams can bring to that offense. Uh, so what are you looking for in this one? Cardinals at the Raiders. By yeah. the way, it's five and a half. The uh, Raiders are favored here. I mean, Mike Renner made the point that when you look at their schedule, you know, Kansas City lost week one. The Raiders now week two. The Rams are up next. You know, Philadelphia is week five. I think the Cardinals could be starting the season with a really terrible run. Imagine if they start with a terrible run and collapse down the stretch. Like, people are getting fired if that happens um, to this team. I do think, though, that this is a really good bounce-back spot for the Cardinals. Okay, Derek Carr is not going to play as bad as he did week one. That was a big part of them losing to the Chargers. But so much of that game against Mahomes and the Chiefs was... It was a genuinely suicidal game plan from the Cardinals. They went with the exact opposite approach to the only thing that's been proven to work against Patrick Mahomes, and they the exact opposite approach happens to be the thing that's been proven the most not to work. You know, the thing that, oh, you're going to blitz Patrick Mahomes? Well, okay, but understand that's going to lead generally against any team to a passer rating of 120 and, you know, a, a ton of success and 55 touchdowns and seven picks. He's going to carve that up. And that's exactly what happened. Like, they sent the house against him, and time after time, Mahomes knew where he was going with the ball and just made plays. It's literally impossible for them to come up with a game plan for this game that's as bad for them as that one was. Like, there's nothing they could do. If you, if you went away and that was the strategy, like, what's the worst possible thing we could do schematically against this team that isn't just like, you know, leave the field and don't cover Devontae Adams? You can't come up with anything worse than that. So... Consequently, they're not going to get torn to ribbons on the back end the way they did by Mahomes. And I think you're going to see that when that happens and it's a closer game, like the Cardinals still have a lot of talent and they're able to execute themselves on offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I buy all that stuff. It can't be as bad as it was last week. I'm, I'm still struggling to see the, you know, where the, the strength is in Arizona's defense, you know, because uh, – they just re-signed Jalen Thompson at safety. He had a rough game last week. The linebackers, the two first-round linebackers, Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, both grading at 45 or lower as far as PFF grades go. The Raiders can exploit that just as much as the Chiefs did as far as Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, the the backs out of the backfield, what they can do. Um, I don't think the Cardinals are as bad as they showed, though. I mean, that's like, I don't have a ton of faith in their back seven and their in their defense, but... I think Kyler's a lot better than what he showed. I mean, mm-hmm. th- the offense also just couldn't get anything going against the Chiefs. 
but Kyler's better than what he showed. Their receivers aren't a disaster. I love Greg Dortch, though, filling in in the slot. I just think the Cardinals are a lot better yeah. than what they have. They're going to—I think—they have a chance to move the ball in the air against the Raiders secondary the same way the Raiders should bounce back. I think we're going to see a lot of points in Vegas. Yeah, I don't think the Raiders' defense is as good as Kansas City's. I don't think their scheme is as good as Kansas City's. And the third thing that I think helps Arizona's offense is—and this is not a, obviously a ringing endorsement of Kyler Murray—but I think he suffers badly when they get down big. You know, the way some some players it doesn't affect. Like, you're down two scores. Tom Brady's just going, oh, that's all right. That's that's 10 seconds of play if we time it right. You know what I mean? Like, Brady doesn't care. He's just out there, next play, let's get it back. You you put Kyler Murray down two scores, and it's sort of like, oh, man, we're boned. Like, we're not coming back from this. Like, we're screwed. It do, It's like, and I, particularly when he's going up against somebody like Patrick Mahomes or whatever, I don't think Kyler buys the idea that they're going to come back from that kind of performance. So... I don't think that will happen in this game. So you'll get an immediately, you'll get a better Kyler Murray because he's not playing with this like fatalistic attitude of the game's already gone. They'll have an easier task because they're facing a worse talented or worse group of talent and a worse scheme. So I agree with you. I think there'll be a lot of points. And ultimately, I think the Cardinals will show they're a much better team than they displayed against Kansas City. Cardinals pass rush, a massive concern, I think, again, on paper, right? J.J. Watt missing week one. He's on track to play here in week two, or at least more likely to play as of record time right now. So should get a little bit of a boost up front for Arizona. So are you, you're taking the Cardinals. You like this uh, game for them and, mm-hmm. and back in bounce back world, even on the road against Vegas. Yep. Five and a half just feels like a lot to me, man. Yeah. I, I think these teams are, these teams are similar. Uh, if Arizona was in the AFC West, I don't know that you would say they're clearly the worst team in the AFC West, like like a lot of people think of the Raiders. So I, I like Arizona here to uh, to cover the five and a half, much like you do. Uh, the first Monday night football game, Tennessee Titans at the Buffalo Bills. Bills are favored by 10. And man, like remember last season, the Bills would... The number one every seed game was the either AFC. blowout, they're favored by two and a half touchdowns, whatever it was, and Every now and again, they'd lose to the Jags 9-6. to six. But uh, the Titans beat the Bills on Monday Night Football last year. The Titans went through that stretch. They went through the Bills and the Chiefs and the Rams, and it was like, doesn't matter. Everybody could get hurt. We're the Titans. We're going to win. Titans won on a failed QB sneak by Josh Allen on Monday Night Football. But this year, Bills looking great in Week 1. Titans 0-1 after their collapse against the New York Giants. Buffalo by 10. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah, somebody posted a graphic that was like, you know, betting favorites for the first coach fired. And Mike Vrabel was like fourth. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Like the general thing was, well, that's just crazy. Like Vrabel. I'm not taking that bet. I am not taking that bet. Vrabel is one of these coaches with an outstanding record the week after a defeat. You know, he bounces back well. And generally he's shown that he tends to win games that he has no business winning. Now, I don't think Tennessee wins this game, but I'm not willing to bet that they lose by over 10 points, even against a team that looked as dominant as Buffalo did in that opening weekend against the Rams. So I, I'm, I always find it very difficult to evaluate the Titans because I think there's a lot of problems with this team and this roster, uh, but they consistently outperform that. So are the Bills 10 points better than the Titans? I think they probably are. But I don't think the Titans lose by more than 10 points because of Mike Vrabel and the way they consistently outperform that. 
the story for the Bills coming out of week one, I mean, there was a couple of them. Josh Allen, it wasn't a perfect game. Nobody plays real perfect games, but it was close. Josh Allen was outstanding week one, throwing the ball short, deep. It was, um, I use this term nicely here. It was a dink and dunk passing attack. It was an underneath passing attack pretty much until the third quarter when Allen hit a couple deep balls behind the defense. And, and I think that was an outstanding sign for the Bills. Yeah. That Josh Allen is, is that his game has evolved to that point where he can win any type of game. He can win with the underneath stuff. He'll take the shots when he needs to. You know he's going to pick up some cheap yards on the ground. You know, cheap as in like I'm a cyborg. I'm just going to run over you or whatever it is. So Allen was outstanding. But the real story, right, is the Bills didn't blitz and they put a ton of pressure on Matthew Stafford and they're rolling eight deep on that defensive line. And they showed it. They all played like that on uh, on Thursday night last week. Yeah, there's a few teams in the league that has shown that they're able to just win with four up front, which is always a cheat code for defense. If you can get pressure with four guys and don't have to blitz and can keep the extra guy back in the secondary, it's just making life easier across the board. And the, the Bills are absolutely a team that was able to do that in week one. Um, if they can do it again, that's a huge advantage towards being able to win any type of game like this. Yeah, Allen in that first game was really, really good. There was an interception that wasn't great. Um, I don't think it was a bad decision. It was just an inaccurate pass that was left like you know a yard behind his receiver, let the defender come in and make the play. The other interception, I think, was actually a good play by Allen, not even just unlucky. It, it was an actively impressive play. He Second and seven, hit the receiver in, in the gap, and the ball location was low, actually protected Isaiah McKenzie from the hit that was going to come over from the linebacker. And then McKenzie just kind of double caught it. And in the case of trying to get it the second time, the linebacker ends up taking it away from him over the top. I think that was closer to a, like a positive play for Allen than yeah. a negative one. Um, if only there's a stat to keep track of interceptions that are not on the quarterback. Yeah, but the, the, your broader point is like when Allen is playing like that, I, I don't know what you're supposed to do against him because he showed that he'll dink and dunk all day long and move the ball at will up the field if that's what you want him to do. If you then roll out of that, if you throw, if you go, well, that's not working. Let's let's go to the single high look. Let's try and get an extra guy in the box. Let's try and shut down some of the short stuff. The second you do that, they take a shot over the over your head and make a big play. And then you have all the stuff of what he's able to do athletically, you know, running through people, stiff arming guys, all that kind of thing. Allen has reached this stage of there is no game plan against him right now. You just have to hope that he doesn't have a great game because if he does the Bills offense is going to wreck you. And so the Bills offense uh, with Allen under center, Stephon Diggs, just as uncoverable. I mean, they were attacking Jalen Ramsey. They didn't care. They were going right after him with Stephon Diggs. Uh, Gabriel Davis found the end zone once again. So the, the Bills have the playmakers once again. They've got the quarterback. My concern with the Titans, since A.J. Brown got traded, even when A.J. Brown was on the team, what do they have for the firepower? Because Sunday was a good example of Ryan Tannehill graded well, played well, you know, did well throw for throw, but you don't have the playmakers to increase the passing production enough to put points on the board. You're missing that. Dontrell Hilliard, uh, the backup running back, has two touchdowns. That's great. You're a big Dontrell Hilliard fan. I know you're excited, Sam, mm -hmm. but he's probably not going to have 34 touchdowns this year. He's probably not going to be their leading receiver this year. You have Kyle Phillips, who does a nice job is a route runner out of the slot. Traylon Burks had a couple catches, but who do you have to throw to in Tennessee to keep up 
with the Bills in this one. It's a it's a huge concern, I think, for the Titans. Yeah, I I think they actually have the talent on offense to make plays. My concern was sort of why were the other guys the ones that were being leaned on? You know, why was Dontrell Hilliard the guy that was getting the important plays? Why was Kyle Phillips the guy leading the team in targets and those kinds of things? Like, I think with the players they have, they still have dudes. You know, they still have Derrick Henry. They still have Traylon Burks. Robert Woods is on his way back from an injury. Like, they, they've got players that can take over games, but in that first game, those weren't the guys making plays for them. Um, so does that continue, or was that just a blip? And this is the game where they're going to lead on, or lean on their freak athletes more. Here's the one other thing I'll say here. The Titans, we know how much they have the Derrick Henry game, right? They have the games where Derrick Henry takes over and he just he's too tough to tackle and the whole deal. If that shows up, if Derrick Henry shows up, I do think it gives the Titans an opportunity to keep it close. And I think this is a test for the Bills. As much as we're raving about their front four, it's still a front four that's been ravaged against the run historically. They like to play those light boxes. So there's a lot of pressure on this front four, I think, to – to play the run against this Titans team uh, a little bit more than they had to against the Rams. So um, that part, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill's efficiency, I think is th- that's the part that could keep the Titans close in this one. So where are you going? 10 points, Bills and Titans. It's just too many points for me. Um, I think I understand why the line is that high, is that big, and I get it. And I think it's worth, it's justifiable. Buffalo is really, really good, but I just can't see Tennessee losing by more than 10. Oh man, you're killing me. Cause I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm in lockstep with so much of your reasoning, but it's going against my take the home team in week two. Mm. I feel like there's this home team edge in week two. It's just not matching up properly for me this week. So I'm going to go Tennessee as well. 10 points is a lot. I believe in Vrabel and I believe in, what they have. I, I I am concerned about the playmakers, though, which, again, is it's why it's a 10-point game, 10-point spread. All right, New England Patriots at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I saw something the other day that said, first, this is the first game without Big Ben or Tom Brady between these two teams since 1998. Wow. Of course, Drew Bledsoe versus Cordell Stewart. Slash. In, a, in an epic matchup. But it, it is fascinating, these two teams that have had uh, such consistency at the quarterback position. Big Ben now retired, and uh, now it's Mac Jones versus Mitchell Trubisky. Patriots favored by two on the road against the undefeated Steelers. What are you looking for in this one? Mac Jones versus Mitchell Trubisky. Um, yeah. I want to see if I want to see what Bill Belichick dials up to knock the Steelers out of this hyper fast offense that they've been running for the last three years, essentially. Um, you know, Roethlisberger led the league in average time to throw. And by led the league, I mean the, the lowest average time to throw for two straight seasons. And in week one, like you remember, the, our, my narrative all offseason was, well, whether it's Trubisky or Pickett, that number is going to go way up this year because neither of those guys is going to play the game the way Roethlisberger did. Well, week one, Trubisky's average time to throw was 1.99 seconds. It was insta-throw. Like, it was faster than Roethlisberger on average. The Patriots are really good at being able to, like, if you're doing one thing that's actually working reasonably well, they're going to make you do something else. It doesn't even matter if it's particularly productive for them. They're just going to force you out of the thing you like doing because they believe there's value in that discomfort that you're going to experience doing something else, anything else. So I want to see what the Patriots do to just knock, to shake the Steelers out of that offense and then see what the Steelers have 
as a plan B. Um, because I think I don't like the Patriots. I don't think they're particularly good, but I do like what happens if they force the Pittsburgh to do anything else as an offense. I think that's when bad things start to happen. The Steelers also, or the Patriots also, they they often like to give up the underneath stuff. You know, they they they're they're very hey let's let's avoid the big play. They've been far more aggressive in recent years with their man coverage and all that stuff, other than maybe last year. But overall, there's there's games where the Patriots will just give up the underneath stuff, come up and tackle, bend but don't break, and you know play some red zone defense. So uh, strategically, that that'll definitely be um, be something to keep an eye on. I think the Steelers have playmakers, man. Trubisky, he's he's just so inconsistent. Uh, he, you know, there are deep balls that he'll throw five yards out of bounds, you know, where where guys just don't have opportunities to play. But at the same time, there were some just missed connections with Deontay Johnson down the field. There there were some just misses from Trubisky and these receivers. I think these receivers have the advantage against this Patriots back seven against the secondary, right? I mean, you've talked all off season. You don't love the way the Patriots have built that defense, Bill Belichick there or not uh, covering Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth in the middle of the field, Chase Claypool, uh, George Pickens, those guys, there should be opportunities for some big plays here. So I think that, I think that'll be the difference in the game. I like your point about, Hey, the Steelers are getting rid of the ball quickly, but if they can create some chunk plays with these guys, if Trubisky just hits a couple more of those downfield passes, I think the, I think those opportunities are going to be there. Are you? This is another history game. Are you buying into the history this time? What's the history? New England usually wins. New England's what, won like six of the last seven or something. The last time the Steelers won was a 2018 game, like a December game sometime. In yeah, that was that was 2018. That's right. The Patriots had just lost uh, Josh Gordon, and season looked like a disaster. And then they went on to win the Super Bowl. Um, I don't think the history matters at all here. I, I think the history was Tom Brady really, really owns the Steelers defense for the yeah. most part. He he had such a good feel for everything they were doing. They were usually zone heavy, and then they'd randomly drop, you know, hey, we're gonna rush three this week. It's like, all right, that's not working. Or we're gonna we're gonna try to play man like the Patriots do, and they didn't know how to match up because they don't they didn't play man that year. So they that fails too. They didn't have an answer for Brady. And that was the biggest issue. So I don't really buy the history here. I think the bigger issue is both teams' rosters aren't nearly as good as they used to be. This is a mid-level AFC game now between the Patriots and the Steelers. Well, what's interesting is, you know, normally you look at these runs of history and it's like across several different coaching, you know, setups and all that kind of thing. This is one where actually, okay, the quarterbacks have changed now, but the coaches have been there forever. Like these are yeah. the, the run of seven games encompasses – those two coaches the whole way like it's Belichick versus Tomlin and Belichick has won six of the last seven so all that said TJ Watt has been officially placed on IR uh he has been designated to return or do you even have to do that anymore he can return uh there's some optimism that he'll be back after what six weeks or whatever it is but you're missing you're missing TJ Watt you definitely the Steelers got some good pressure with with guys like Alex Highsmith you had Malik Reed off the edge that's going to be, I think, the story of the game is the Steelers rushing the passer against the Patriots have just been a little off in pass protection, which is why Mac Jones got strip sacks. They didn't pick it up right. Steelers are going to be coming after Mac Jones. Will the Patriots pick it up? I think that's the uh, the matchup to look for in this one. Actually, 
I just I cut it off at six of the last seven because that's where the trend stopped. The Steelers won a couple of games after that. But in the totality of the Tomlin era in Pittsburgh, it's eight wins out of 11 for Belichick. Yeah, and one was Matt Castle at quarterback as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't know if the coaching match – I mean, the coaching matchup probably matters a little bit. But I really think most of that was just Brady driven. I think I thought I thought Belichick did a really nice job against Roethlisberger for the most part, and Brady just had the Steelers number. And I think it was I think it was QB driven more than coach driven. All right, I think I anyway, coaching is pretty important here. I mean, I think when you think back in the, some of those games, every time the Steelers have tried to adjust, it's been horrible. Like it just hasn't worked. And every time the Patriots adjust, it causes Pittsburgh problems. So I actually think you know I. I think Belichick is going to dial something up to make them go to a different offense, and I don't know that the Steelers have a counter to that. Fair. I mean, I'm, I'm going to lean New England in this one anyway. Uh, I just I, I think that I, I trust Mac Jones making a few more plays than Mitchell Trubisky. But like I said earlier, it's not a knock on either team. I think this is a it's a battle for you know the mid mid tier of the AFC. I think that's what it is between these two teams, and I'll give the. I'll give the Patriots the edge in this one, favored by two in Pittsburgh. Is this a game that gives the Steelers the excuse to turn to Kenny Pickett at quarterback? Um, I think any game can. I, I, I don't know. I saw some poll from our my Steelers friends the other day. You know how and where did your impression of Mitch Trubisky go after Week One? I was surprised that it was more negative than positive. You know, Steelers. The Steelers fan base usually is like, hey, if we win, we win. All I care about is winning. Um, but if the fan base is even like, yeah, Trubisky doesn't, didn't really inspire a ton of confidence, I'm sure the coaching staff's in the, you know similar boat that they're potentially ready for, for Kenny Pickett at some point. Yeah, to me, it stayed pretty much the same. Um, I, I said yeah, sort of blindly agreed. before the season without checking their schedule that Trubisky's going to get like four games, you know, and then it's time yeah. to turn to Pickett. Now looking at the schedule – Obviously, there was week one against the Bengals. Now we have the Patriots. That generally is not a good place to start a rookie quarterback. After that, though, Cleveland, the Jets, you know, if I mean, if Trubisky stinks against the Jets, that's it. He's game over. You're putting him, you're sitting him down. Problem is week five is against the Buffalo Bills. Week six is against Tampa Bay. Seven, Miami. Like after that, the defense is starting to get pretty nasty. You and your, you got, you're, you're so afraid of the rookies having to play tough games. I mean, I'm not afraid of it. I just don't necessarily want to do it week one. You know what I mean? Like, hey, welcome to the NFL, Rook. Here's the best defense in the league. Get him out there against the Jets. I think is the best. The best course of action, maybe. Anyway, were you going to England on this one, too? Yep. Uh, New England, when was the last time they they were 0-2? Probably 2001. Don't know. When uh, they won the Super Bowl. I think that was it. (laughs) When they discovered a uh, little-known quarterback. Yeah. Drew Bledsoe goes 0-2, and then some guy named Tom Brady just swoops in. Uh, So, yeah, it's a whole different world, New England and Pittsburgh right now. All right, Cincinnati Bengals at the Dallas Cowboys. This game certainly looked much more attractive until week one happened. Uh, Mm. Joe Burrow, four interceptions, uh, fumble, sacked seven times. Dallas, uh, I would say Dallas had the worst offensive performance of the week. They were second worst in EPA per play. Uh, I believe it was behind the Niners, but that was in a rainstorm. The Dallas was in a dome and they couldn't do a thing. So Dallas's offense, you had Dak out. Cooper Rush era has begun for at least a few weeks. And uh, what the heck, man? Seven and a half points. 
the Bengals are favored on the road on the road against the Cowboys. I I I'm immediately taking the Bengals in this one. I I just don't. They're not going to turn the ball over the way they did last week. And Dallas couldn't move the ball offensively. I don't think it was a DAC issue. It was an offense issue. I like Bengal the Bengals a lot in this one. Yeah, this game swung. I think ten points with. Dallas losing Dak Prescott, even though the even though Joe Burrow and the Bengals turned the ball over five times, like that's how much of a mismatch team people now think this is with Cooper Rush versus Joe Burrow. Um, I mean, I'm with them in terms of obviously Joe Burrow is a way better quarterback. I of all the teams that looked like crap in Week One, I was least concerned by Cincinnati because five turnovers, like five turnovers, and they still should have won the game at least twice. Um, so that's not going to happen every single week. Like, okay, Burrow might have a game or two where he has a few turnover with he plays, but it's not going to look like that. So when it doesn't, they're going to be fine. Now, where I think there is potentially some hope for Dallas is Cincinnati's overhauled offensive line gave up some pressure last week. And in particular, like Jonah Williams, who was supposed to be one of the you know, the set players in that offensive line, one of the guys we don't need to worry about. Jonah Williams gave up some real pressure off uh, from his position. Seven total pressures, two sacks. He's now going up against arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL in Micah Parsons. And if Dallas doesn't deploy him, you know, basically every single snap on the defensive line, I think they're wasting an opportunity because he on his own could really cause problems for Cincinnati's offense. Micah Parsons, I, I saw I saw we put out the tweet from the PFF account when uh, Leonard Fournette popped him. Hmm. Uh, you know, as uh, he chipped him and put him to the ground. I, I just want to be on record and say Micah Parsons is awesome. Yeah. That only happened because Micah Parsons is awesome. I don't care that he got pancaked <laughs> by a chip, by a double team. It doesn't matter. That doesn't that's not oh. a negative no. For Micah Parsons all in my that, book. All that means is that on that particular play, he didn't anticipate a chip block. Like, essentially, if a running back wants to and the defensive, uh, the, the edge rusher doesn't know it's coming, he will deplete them. I mean, you'll find, you'll find that play for every elite pass rusher in NFL history. There's a play somewhere where he didn't know it was coming and he got popped yeah. and got sat on his ass. I mean, that just happens. When you get nailed from the side without knowing it's coming, you are going down. Far more important than the stupid chip block that, you know, went viral. Micah Parsons, when left one-on-one, whether it was Donovan Smith or Josh Wells, dominated, had back-to-back sacks that that killed two red zone opportunities on third down for the Bucks, And that's what Micah Parsons brings to the table. He's awesome. He's special. I think he was quote-tweeting us saying, check the tape. And I just want to be on record saying, we checked the tape. Micah Parsons is awesome. And you're right, Sam. Jonah Williams gave up a couple sacks last week and – you have to keep an eye on Micah Parsons. And I, I think having that chipping isn't always the best way to slow down pass rushers. It does actually put the tackle in a bind sometimes, but extra tight end or whatever it is, if the Bengals are smart, they're they're certainly keeping an eye on him. And I think if they neutralize him, you know, I know Demarcus Lawrence is excellent and everything too, but if they if you can neutralize Micah Parsons, I think the Bengals have what it takes to to move the ball here. That's a pretty freaking big if though. No, I get it. I'm I'm saying give him the attention. Give him the the extra tight ends, chip if if needed, whatever it is. Roll the pocket away from him. Do what you can. Since I mean, since coming into the league, Parsons has by far the best pressure rate of any 
kind of true pass rusher. There's a couple, like, Devin White has the best pressure rate technically of any front seven player, but it's all on the blitz versus running backs and that kind of thing. Like, of the guys that actually line up as a true pass rusher and go up against offensive linemen most of the time, Micah Parsons has a pass rush win rate, or a pressure rate, rather, that's like 4% better than anybody else since he came into the league. I mean, he, I'm not joking when I say he might be the best pass rusher in the league, and that puts him in a category with, like, Aaron Donald. Like, that, that's what I'm talking about here. That's how good he is. So what, what are you looking for in this one? I think the Bengals will not turn the ball over as often as they did. Yeah. And I think they'll, they'll move the ball. And they're, they're, they're not going to make this game – they're not going to turn it over five times. You know, that's the, that's the thing that um, I think is the big difference from last week to this week. Burrow's got to play better, make better decisions, all that stuff. But they have what it takes to bounce back and I think put up a, a lot of points on the Cowboys here. Yeah, I mean, that, that I think is kind of the bottom line. I think um... – the Bengals are going to score some points. They're not going to put uh, the ball in harm's way as much as they did last week. My cons- I think Cincinnati's defense is actually pretty good as well. So my concern becomes, can Dallas score? You know, like Cooper Rush, yeah. they looked awful last week. They they couldn't really run the ball particularly well. Like, they tried to establish it to win. It didn't go anywhere. Um, their offensive line was a problem, and I don't know that they're reshuffling it quickly enough for them to fix that. Like, is is Jason Peters going to be a week two starter? That's still up in the air. I think that's their best move is starting Peters at left tackle, moving Tyler Smith back into left guard, trying to piece this thing together. If they don't do that, I I don't see them scoring more than, you know, a few points against the Bengals. Yeah, uh, I if Dak was the quarterback, I'd be very worried about the Dallas offense after what we saw in week one. I don't think the Bucks are the 85 Bears. I don't think that's what they ran into. I think the the Dallas offense has issues with or without Dak Prescott at quarterback. So uh, you're taking Cincinnati? Yeah. All right. I'll also take Cincinnati to cover the seven and a half at Dallas. Uh, Sunday Night Football, Chicago Bears at the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Bears coming up. The Bears are 1-0, man. Bears are 1-0. Packers yeah. are 0-1. First place Bears taking on the last place Green Bay Packers. I'm just telling it like it is. This is just what we have right here. But just the Packers that. are favored by 10. No respect, man. No respect for the undefeated Bears. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, you kind of predicted it last week, Sam. You didn't predict it directly, but you said there's a world where this happens, right? You know, the r- rookies let him down. Aaron gets frustrated, starts chucking it up, and he literally chucked it up into coverage for his interception. But Rodgers has bad games. He's yeah. had bad games many times, but he usually bounces back extremely well. And now you've got Still what I think is an overmatched Bears team to go up against here on Sunday Night Football. Second place Bears, by the way. Let's give some respect to the uh, points differential that the Vikings managed against Green Bay in week one. True. Um, I just call everybody one to know. They're all the number one seed in that's my That's true, heart, yeah. They're all tied. You don't one. do tiebreakers. Um, I, yeah, look, I, I actually predicted kind of both sides of this reasonably well last week. I, there, are, there are games where Aaron Rodgers plays like that, and Chicago was a live underdog to the point where they won. Um I, I think it's very easy to get carried away with what Chicago did in terms of just winning against San Francisco. But I think this week they're going to be reminded of the flaws on the team. Like, you could easily come out of last week if we were so inclined and say, oh, maybe Chicago's offensive line's actually okay. Like, Tevin Jenkins played pretty well at guard, didn't give up an awful lot. Um, they handled Joey Bo- or Nick Bosa, rather, 
reasonably well. He wasn't a, a big factor in that game. San Francisco's defensive line did not cause them that many problems. And they had a reasonable game plan to deal with it. Like every time Nick Bosa lined up, there was an extra guy to his side. Whether it was a running back, a tight end, they were not going to give him a free one-on-one run against you know a, a questionable tackle. But it's very you have to factor in the, the field. Like it was a rainstorm. There was, there was a slop fest. There was no kind of footing. It was the kind of weather that would immediately neutralize any kind of pass rush, let alone it doesn't matter what the scheme was or what the offense was going to be doing. Like they, San Francisco's pass rush was going to be blunted. So I think Green Bay's pass rush is about to immediately remind the Bears that actually they're, you know, they're probably worse than that. Um, and yeah, you might have a good game plan, but you don't. There's more than one guy you have to worry about for Green Bay. Yeah, they've got Rashawn Gary, like Nick Bosa. They also have Kenny Clark on the interior. Like they've got extra guys that are going to cause you some issues. So I think Green Bay's defensive front immediately is a big mismatch over Chicago's offensive line. As much as Justin Fields is always capable of making a, a crazy play here or there, he's also he also holds the ball still. I mean, early in that game, he got buried by just hanging onto the ball in the pocket and doing nothing, you know? So I think that's going to happen as well. Green Bay's uh, secondary is good enough to give him nowhere to go with the ball. So I think Chicago's offense is going to struggle to get much done here. If you have PFF PFF Plus, where the premium stats are contained, uh, you look at the defensive grades for the Packers, and it's, uh, it's an interesting look. There's a lot of green. There's a lot of solid. There's a lot of players who played fine in week one. Then you get to the safeties. Yeah. Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, both in the red, both in the 20s. Uh, credit Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings offense, Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins. They exploited the Packers at the safety position. I mean, they were attacking him. We talked about how they moved Justin Jefferson around. The Packers weren't a disaster across the board defensively last week. They gave up a few big plays in there, and, and a lot of it was two safeties. And a- Amos, who's historically one of the better safeties in the NFL, one of the safest safeties. He doesn't. Bust coverage is all that much. He's not out of position. Darnell Savage, a playmaker who's a little bit more hit or miss. But my point is I'm expecting the Packers, the defense that we said might be the best that they've had in 10 years. I, I really think we're looking at a few a few bad plays in there last week um, that they're going to tidy up and be much better. And then offensively, the question with uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, who's he going to throw to? Alan Lazard should be back this week. Mm-hmm. Just kind of getting that consistency, right? I mean, if Christian Watson gets behind the defense 10 times, even if he has the worst hands in the NFL, he's going to catch seven of them. And that's worth it in the long run. This is my Valdez Scantling take, right? It's yeah. worth it in the long run. So uh, I think the Packers have some of the pieces to bounce back offensively. Just just curious to see who it is. It, it's worth it as long as Aaron Rodgers is prepared to hang in there through that. You know what I mean? Like the problem comes where after, you know, two two plays last week, there was the drop touchdown right at the start and then there was a quick out where he just didn't look quickly enough for the ball stuck out a hand and that's a first down gone begging they should have been there those are two plays where he said to Aaron Rodgers you can't trust me you know not yet maybe down the line now Rodgers might have to trust him because if they're not going to elevate you know Romeo Dobbs in within the offense they're not going to elevate his role or Alan Lazard is tapped out in terms of how much he can do you're going to need Watson. You're going to have to just keep throwing him the ball and live with the inconsistency or the, the, the missed plays that are there. So that, I think, is the key is, yeah, like statistically, mathematically, it's absolutely worth it, that threat that he brings if he can bring in 70% of those passes. 
But if Rodgers goes after two drops, if Rodgers is like, I'm done with this, screw it. You're never seeing the ball again, you know? Until you can convince me that you don't have hands made out of feet, I'm not putting the ball into your area again. So that, I think, is the, the one area of concern for me is, you know, how much of a rope does he have before Rodgers is just done with it? The thing I used to always say, used to, like like it was many years ago, mm. Joe Burrow is a, is a Joe Burrow believer and in thinking he was going to be good and, and the Steelers just being such a good team for so many years, I was always expecting Joe Burrow, like when when's he going to step up against this division rival that's just had the better of the Bengals for so many years? Or when when is Joe Burrow going to step up against the Ravens or whatever it might be? And last year was, was the year. And, and we've talked about how Fields doesn't necessarily have the supporting cast, but one of these days if fields is the guy for the bears, he's just going to like go up against your division rival. He's just going to go up against the Packers and ball out. Like he did on Monday night football last year against the Steelers fields uh, fields. Got to make some special plays in this game. That's what I'm looking for. Right. Can fields overcome the roster deficit here to make some special plays for the bears. And um, that's what will overcome the 10 point spread. That's what will overcome the Packers pretty much owning the Bears. But I, I just think Rodgers does so well in these bounce back games, even though you don't have the Devontae Adams. It, it felt easier saying, hey, he'll bounce back. We have Devontae Adams last year, but um, I'll take the Packers to cover the 10. Same. And I look, as much as I've kind of maligned Alan Lazard throughout the offseason and sort of pointing out that he's not good enough to be the number one receiver in this team, all of which I think is true, Rodgers does trust him. And there's value in that. Yep. There is absolutely value in the idea that if he's one-on-one -on -one in single coverage, Rodgers will put the ball in the air without thinking about it. Particularly, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what trust does, Sam, whether he catches it on the other end or not. There was the play last week where Rodgers looked like a deer in the headlights, where yeah. he's sitting there. There was three Vikings coming at him, yeah. and he just sat there and got crushed from every angle. Yeah. That wasn't an offensive line issue. That was Aaron Rodgers holding the ball. And if a rookie did that, you would say, like, what are you doing, rookie? You look, you look lost. You look... Uh, you you can't see it fast enough. It's yeah. you're slow seeing the field, and that was Rogers. Just didn't have anybody open. Didn't have anybody he trusted. Because if nobody's open, Rogers will throw you the back shoulder. If you're Alan Lazard, if you're Jordy Nelson, if you're Devontae Adams, he'll chuck it up to you. When he has nobody, he's sitting there holding the ball, getting crushed. And, and that's that is something that needs to change for this Packers offense to have any sort of success. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with that, is that the value... Sorry, I interrupted you. It's all right. The value in having Lazard is it will help the offensive line. Like, Rodgers, the trust that he has in Lazard and his ability to just put the ball in the air if he sees him there will help that offensive line. He won't have those plays where he just doesn't trust anybody and refuses to, you know, put the ball in the air and just ends up taking a sack and a hit that he shouldn't. He will get the ball rid quicker. And will not only help everybody. All right, so we're both taking the Packers by 10 at home. Sunday night football. We got the Atlanta Falcons at the Los Angeles Rams. Rams favored by 10 and a half at home. Uh, both teams 0-1. Uh, Falcons with a disappointing collapse once again against the New Orleans Saints. And the Rams, let's not forget, it was 10-10 Rams-Bills mm -hmm. before it ended up 31-10. The Bills pulled away in the second half. But uh, Rams came away with some question marks. Also want to remind people, Jordan Rodriguez was on the show yesterday, Rams reporter from The Athletic. She does a great job breaking down their team, asking good questions and giving good answers. So go check that out if you're a Rams fan. But what are you looking for here, Sam? Rams by 10 and a half. Yeah, um, we're, we both went Green Bay, right? We, we clarified We that did, yeah, I did. Specified. I did. Cool. Well, I, uh, that, I think we're both taking the Packers by 10 at home Sunday Night Football. 
We covered with Jordan yesterday. There's a lot of questions for the Rams heading into this game or just generally existentially throughout the season. My biggest one, though, is like, where the hell was, was Allen Robinson in that game? I, yeah. I, I, I understand that, you know, they were seeing a lot of zone coverage and in zone coverage is nobody better than Cooper Cup and work in the middle of the field and all those kinds of things. But zone coverage does not preclude the 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 appearance of a number one X wide receiver. Like those guys don't just eradicate. They're not eradicated from the offense just because you're playing cover two. Like it's not like cover two is kryptonite for a passing attack. In fact, cover two stopped being used broadly for a big period in the NFL because it was too easy to attack. Teams understood how to, you know, pass the ball against cover two, where the holes were, all those kinds of things. So I don't buy the excuse that, oh, well, the Bills ran a lot of zone, therefore Allen Robinson is just ornamental within this offense. They just didn't go in his direction until, you know, one pass late on, which is a jump ball waste of time when they were buried anyway. So I kind of want to see this week, do do they go out of their way to feature Allen Robinson more or – is he just not going to be a big part of this offense? Is it still going to be the Cooper Cup show? Yeah, I mean, there there were times last year where they had the the Allen Robinson type last year was was Odell Beckham, and and you saw there were games where Odell Beckham didn't do a whole lot, but when you had those one on one matchups, and and Odell Beckham was going to be featured in the Super Bowl, it seemed like right yeah. they were going to put he was him going in to win slot Super Bowl and, MVP by the looks of it. Yeah, it, it, and Allen Robinson can be that guy. Uh, when the matchup calls for it. But I think it would make sense to just get him involved early and often, right? Get him involved. Uh, you know Cooper Cup is going to be there. We we talked with Jordan yesterday all about the, the long-term aspect for the Rams and, and all that stuff. I think to, to get Allen Robinson integrated into this offense is going to be so much better long-term for the Rams. Um, I don't know how much Matthew Stafford's arm is is an issue he was way off on some throws mm-hmm. he had a he had a really weird game where it wasn't like he was he wasn't really all over the place but his misses were bad right he had some bads that you know sad bad misses that were you know the pick and uh overthrow over the middle of the field there were some bad misses in there and, and that's where i don't want to blame the elbow because stafford's no, always had elements it. of that but blame it elbows what's that blame it lean into it it's the it's elbow. All the elbow elbows lead to accuracy issues that's what happens but um yeah stafford's got to play better and um the the other big question we talked about is it alan robinson was it the offensive line there's a little shuffle on the offensive line yeah some just new starters for the rams that they're trying to integrate there i still don't think atlanta has the pass rushers to exploit that grady jarrett's fantastic he'll get some have some success on the interior um, they did have a few sacks last week, but I don't think Atlanta is the team that's really going to take advantage of the Rams' offensive line like, say, the Bills did last week. No, I don't either. I could see quite a lot of points in this game. I think the Rams will probably have a better uh, better go of it on offense themselves. And then I do – I'm just really high on this Falcons' offense and what they can do. Now, obviously, the concern there is how much does that get wrecked by Aaron Donald? But – the ways that the Falcons are running that offense, they don't have a good offensive line, but I think this year they're going to protect it a lot better than they did a year ago because of all the things they're going to be able to do. RPOs, option looks, Marcus Mariota rolling out on the move. You know, it minimizes the number of plays, which is all you can do as a game plan, is just minimize the number of plays where Aaron Donald is even capable of ruining his guy, leaving him face first in the turf and bearing down on your quarterback. And I think the Falcons are going to do that as just a matter of course, better than anybody, more than any other offense in in the league really this year. So 
I think both offenses will actually have a reasonable degree of success here, and we could have a fun little shootout. I don't want to sound like the uh, the spreadsheet nerds, Sam, but football football's more complicated than that. But we've talked about how the Cardinals blitz. like the, the highest blitz rate in the NFL last week was the Cardinals mm-hmm. against the best quarterback against the blitz yeah. in the NFL. And in the other extreme was the Bills going up against Stafford and the Rams, who were fantastic against the blitz last year. And, and they just said, yeah, we like to rush four. And yeah, we trust our starting eight, our eight guys on the defensive line, but we're not going to blitz once. We're just going to stick to the game plan. Do, do teams start replicating that? Do teams start saying, we don't want to blitz Stafford and the Rams? Um, it's, it's tough to coach football that way and, and live in those extremes. It's not that the Falcons can never blitz. But wouldn't you want to replicate what the Bills do as much as possible, even if you don't have that personnel? No. That's what's I... going to be tough in the meeting rooms this week, right? Like, Falcons are going to say, we don't have the Bills personnel. And by the way, the Falcons had the fifth highest blitz rate last week. But you have to do a little bit of what was successful last week with the Bills if you're the Falcons this week, right? This is one of your, you know, things that you always say, which is, like, that's not a game plan. <laughs> that's, like, what you can do when you have incredible pass rush. Like, I think yeah. everybody's ideal is being able to generate a ton of pressure with four guys. Even teams that blitz a lot. If they were given the opportunity to win with four guys consistently versus the blitz-happy approach you always take, they'd take the four guys thing because it lets you do so much more on the back end and you can be better in other areas. But most teams don't have the players to be able to consistently win with four guys. The Bills, I think, realized early in that game that they did and therefore didn't need to do a single a single bit of like generating pressure. They were going to get pressure simply by winning with four guys. The Falcons just don't have that. They've got Grady Jarrett still, and that's it. Like that's you. You can't just sit back and say, "Well, I don't know, Grady Jarrett will get it done." That's enough. You're going to get carved to pieces because they're going to have all day in the pocket. Like I think if you're a team like the Falcons, you would love to be able to do what the Bills did, but I don't think you can run with that as a game plan. I think you're going to have to mix it up and try and win in a variety of different ways, simulate pressure, generate pressure with the blitz, have the occasional play where your guys win with four, and then, you know, hope that all that together is enough. Yeah, this is one. Okay, so it's ten and a half. Uh, I'm going to go Rams. To It's a lot of points. A lot of points. Uh, yeah, it, it doesn't feel good in L.A. right now, but you've got uh, Atlanta going cross country. They're feeling a little bit better than we thought coming in. They played it close last week against the Saints. But going back to my priors, I stick to my priors for the first 12 weeks, right? That's Mm. how you're supposed to do it. Priors matter uh, for the first 12 weeks of the season. Then you can finally, you know, look at recent evidence. That's my take. That's my my take. I don't think the the Falcons have the pass rush to keep up. I think they are going to have to blitz, and Stafford can pick that apart. And they don't have the horses in the back end, really, to – I like A.J. Terrell and Casey Hayward, but I think Stafford and the Rams offense is going to look much better in this That's one. It's the, the first reference of the 2022 season of a long cross-country journey. You know, it's usually a staple of our pregame analysis. Um, yeah. I, yeah. You get the biggest NFL, biggest football database, and we're like, oh, uh-huh. there's a lot of a lot of miles. It's a that, long plane. That's a long-ass plane ride. They're not going to be winning yeah. this game. Um, yeah. yeah, I look, it's a lot of points. I think the Rams are a better team, but I think the Falcons' offense is going to score enough that covering 10 and a half is going to be really hard. Like they're going to need to put up a lot of points to cover 10 and a half, given what I think Atlanta is going to score. So I think the Falcons cover. All right. You got the Falcons. I'll take the Rams at 10 and a half. Now listen to this one. Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers. Niners, 0-1 Niners, hmm. favored by eight and a half here. 
against the 1-0 Seattle Seahawks. Do they not look at the power rankings? The power rankings must be out right now where all the 1-0 teams are the top 16 teams in the league. Is that right? Somebody did Um, one of those, like specifically for the joke. What's that? Somebody put one of those out, like specifically sort of with that bit. Oh, You know, like it's the first 16 teams versus the second 16 teams. And then Mike Florio copied it exactly because that's generally (laughs) what he does, right? No offense, Mike. I wonder if Mike listens to us. There's no way. There's no well, way. Mike if he does, he probably us. doesn't anymore. No, we just lost him. We might have lost Mike hmm. if he listened. Chris Sims would never do that. He would. Chris Sims would put 0-1 teams first. He'd put the 16-0-1 teams and then the 16-1-0 teams just to just to mix it up. That's why they're a good pairing. All right. What are you, what are you looking for here? San Francisco favored by 8.5 against the undefeated Seattle Seahawks. So 8.5 points and... Seattle might have the better quarterback. Oh, boy. Wow. Wow. Am I wrong? I mean, rest in peace. The PFF forecast, sometime they're going to die. But the they would say better quarterback getting the points, right? Right. Like, this is a big sort of, you know, betting point of or port of call early in the, the process. It's like, who has the better quarterback and what does that look like? No. Right now... Seattle has a better quarterback. Geno Smith is a better quarterback right now than Trey Lance. Is that unreasonable? No. Okay. Trey Lance has 255 career snaps. Last year he graded at 59. This year he's graded at 53 in one game in a monsoon. Sure. And that obviously impacts how well he's going to play. Um, you know, there were a couple of passes that came out of his hand just, just slipped out because of the, the weather, whatever. But... My point is more like Geno looks like a viable, reasonable NFL quarterback. He didn't play it perfectly against the Broncos, but he played pretty damn well in the first half and made some plays and kept drives alive. They probably have the better quarterback, and they're giving up eight and a half points. Okay, the 49ers are a better team. Like Seattle's roster is not good. The 49ers roster is good. Joe, uh, Nick, God, I keep calling him Joey Bosa. Nick Bosa against those rookie offensive tackles. You know, Charles Cross, I think, probably played better than people thought he did because two of the four pressures he gave up against Denver were sacks. Um, On the other hand, Nick Bosa is a lot better than Bradley Chubb. So Nick Bosa, playing both sides of the defensive line as he does right now, is going to give both of those rookies a tough time. That's a huge mismatch. But, man, I find it really hard to bet into a team with eight and a half points with a worse quarterback. Okay, fair points, but th- this is the one. This is the one I was looking for. Seattle wins 17 to 16 at home. It, was that their Super Bowl? I mean, they're <laughs> they're playing at home and they get the 12s. Geno's playing fired up, you know, gets his old teammate. You know, it, it's Russell Wilson returning. And also, remember. And they, st- they still only put up 17 points. Well, not just that. Remember, they put up 17 points. And, like, every time Denver got to the one-yard line, they turned the ball over. Like, Right. Yeah, as much as it came down to the ridiculousness at the end and the will they, won't they call the timeout, blah, blah, blah. They, they should have scored, like, another two or three touchdowns in that game and had it well put to bed. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Niners, it's like, what the heck? They're so bad. They played in a monsoon. They lost to the lowly Bears. The nine, like, Vegas isn't fooled. They threw the eight and a half on it. They're not fooled. They're not. So that kind of hurts a little bit. That's a lot of points. But I, I like the Niners here. I mean, I know it's Seattle, and they always play weird games. You know, shout out to Kevin Clark, and mm-hmm. the tweet lives forever. 
that Seattle can never wear, can never play a normal game. Mm-hmm. And it makes it difficult to ever take any team to beat Seattle by eight and a half because yeah. of that. But yes, Charles Cross had some issues last week. The offensive line, I still don't necessarily trust them. Geno Smith, I was most impressed with Geno Smith making plays under pressure, making plays while getting hit. Yep. You know, I think he's always thrown the ball pretty well and everything, but taking too many sacks, taking too many negative plays, that's been his issue. And he comes back and he makes plays under pressure instead of just, you know, turtling up and taking four or five sacks. That was what was impressive. Can he keep that up? Because I think the Niners are going to get after him. Javon Kinlaw looked good last week. He might be ready to break out. I I, I like the Niners here, man. I know it's a lot of points, but I, I like the Niners. You were, uh, weren't you telling me that Javon Kinlow was a, a model guy? Model really liked him coming out? Yeah, I don't want to say that out loud too much because he's had two bad years, though. <laughs> but it's injuries. You can, it's all right. You can dismiss, like, you can oh, never, right. yeah, yeah. You can never account injuries. for the injuries. Look, injuries. The, model, the model is like a 60% hit rate, whatever it is. Yeah, but it's okay. You can, you can always dismiss the injury guys, you know? Well, look, how could I know he was going to, okay, fair enough. He had an injury in college, right? Like, we were already concerned about his knee before he came into yeah. the nfl but still that's a fine okay. one to dismiss i'm just saying that the model which as we know is flawless um yeah so let me just fire up the so i got the model handy uh, he was a 96th percentile interior defensive lineman javon kinlaw well, there you go 96th percentile and a big part of it uh see he didn't work out which might have worked in his favor. <laughs> I think part of it, though, was his wingspan, and uh, yeah, that was good. Model likes anyway. a good wingspan. Yeah, but he's only 70th percentile production-wise, so I don't know. I, I might have some adjustments to make. Anyway, we kind of <laughs> like Kinlaw. He looked good last week. Would would I have been my me as a prospect back in the playing days? I got a big wingspan. Would I have been a good model model guy? It, it depends on how much wingspan projects at your particular position at safety. Okay, probably not much. Or corner, yeah, or corner. But uh, probably wouldn't help much. Mm, okay. Thanks for asking though. But uh, look, man, him, Kinlaw, Eric Armstead, Dick Bosa—they're going to get after it. They're going to get after it in Geno Smith. Can G- Geno's going to get sacked five times in this game? Okay. That's what I'm calling. That's fine. I mean, the other thing is San Francisco is the interior. Their offensive line looked problematic um, despite the conditions in Chicago. Like, we talked about how that should have helped the Chicago Bears offensive line. It didn't didn't help the 49ers one that much. Um, I don't know. I'm just – I'm not buying San Francisco winning by that volume of points. All right. Well, do it, man. Take them. I am. Take Seattle. Seattle. Seattle's covering. Seattle on the road, the 12s on the road, not buying it. Take the Niners to cover this thing. All right, we've got five more games here, Sam. Washington Commanders at the Detroit Lions. The Lions are favored. Is that right? Uh, I think so. Lions favored by one and a half against the Commanders. What are you looking for in this game? Um, I so Yeah, Detroit one and a half. Yeah, there you go. This is another one where... Uh... Week one, I think, is factoring pretty high. Uh, so, you know, Vitae, big V, a right guard, was missing to start the season. It didn't sound like it was going to be long, and now they're talking about that might be the year, like he might get shut down. Um, his replacement, Logan Stenberg, came in and got destroyed. Like He had a, an overall grade of 26. He had a pass-blocking grade of zero. Um, basically, every time he was left one-on-one, he got destroyed, annihilated. So... All right, it's one out of five, 
and you can patch up one weak link on the offensive line. But that was a big weak link. And Frag Ragnow is is not 100% yet. He's uh, battling back from injury, still dealing with injury. So I think Detroit's line looked really good. But if if the Washington Commanders, who have you know some pretty impressive horses along the defensive line, if they can zero in on that one weak link and really go after it, that that will be an interesting thing to see how that affects this offense. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Detroit's offensive line was a little hit or miss in week one. They're supposed to be one of the league's best. You had, you know, really good game for Panay Sewell. The two guys you mentioned struggled, but I'll expect them to be better going forward. Underrated storyline here. This is the top two quarterback. I love when this happens. Top two QBs from the 2016. Oh, yeah, draft-wise, yeah. NFL draft. Yes. You were making a face like, what do you mean the top two QBs? Like, what possible statistic Uh, could they have finished one, two in after week one? No, this is the top two quarterbacks at getting drafted in the 2016 drafts. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. And, uh, you know, we broke those guys down quite a bit back then. Who's the better pick for the Rams? And the Eagles go up to get Carson Wentz. And here it is, Commanders versus the Lions. And uh, they're both at quarterback. I, I talk a lot about aggressiveness for for quarterbacks, and and I think Wentz had some aggressiveness. He had some of those big time throws. I thought the Commanders schemed it up pretty well early on. They made you know, did some nice stuff getting the ball down the field. And I want to see Jared Goff throw the ball down the field more. Got to see him throw the ball down the down the field more. That offensive line should be better going forward. I know it's tough when you do have a right guard getting crushed and you're under pressure, but got to see the Lions drive the ball down the field. I thought Goff's, Goff's arm looked pretty good. I think they have the potential there. But even for just his job, you want to see Goff be a little bit more aggressive. That was what Dan Campbell wanted to get out of him last week, last year, and I want to see more of that with the Lions. Yeah, I also want to see if Washington's defense can just pull itself together. Like, they have way more talent than they're showing and have shown for the last year plus. And the way that they're getting exposed week on week, every year, it feels like something that's a bigger problem than just the guys aren't playing particularly well. Like this is, we talk a lot about how some schemes are able to get greater, greater results than the sum of their parts. This is a scheme that's getting worse results than the sum of their parts. And that can only be a scheme thing. Like there's no way that you just get that level of variance for this, this length of time that a group is underperforming this much, but that helps a team like Detroit. Cameron Curl should be back, I believe, at safety. Uh, a guy who had a really good rookie season, 2020, not as good last year. But uh, you're right. I mean, there's definitely some talent on uh, the uh, on the commander's defense. Jonathan Allen's going to be – he's questionable right now with a groin injury. But their strength, the, the Washington strength, the matchup is that Washington defensive line versus the Lions offensive line. That's the one to watch. It's the one that could help determine this game. Um, no Chase Young still till about probably mid-season, unfortunately, but um, the Commanders still have plenty of talent up front there. Also want to see Jahan Dotson, see if he could build on week one, man. Two touchdowns, the ball skills, uh, the catch point skills. Uh, the the Commanders with him, with, with Dotson, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and the way you, you can use Antonio Gibson co- coming out of the backfield, they have some weapons to extract the best out of Carson Wentz. I think... There could be a sneaky good Carson Wentz season in here that's going to surprise Sam over there in our Cincinnati studio. It's going to surprise you, man. You're not a Carson Wentz believer, but I think they they might have the pieces to 
get the most out of them here. And they're actually moving those guys around a bit. Remember when they first sort of signed all these hybrid-looking players? And we were like, wow, this, can you imagine what this could look like if they decide to deploy all these guys in these hybrid roles and move them around and cause defenses a nightmare every single time they line up? And then none of that happened? Like, they just, Antonio Gibson, you're just running back. And Curtis Samuel, you're just receiver. Like, it, it, it's like, what's the point? Why get versatile players like that if you're just going to plug them in to this standard cookie-cutter operation and say, play whatever you are? I mean, at least in week one, it looks like we're going to see a little bit more than that and them actually tap into that versatility and what that can do. If that happens, this offense becomes a lot more fun. Where are you going in this one? The Lions favored by one and a half at home here. Uh, I am going to lean Washington. I'm also going to take Washington underdogs in Detroit. Was this the what 91 NFC championship? Was that right? When the, when Washington went to the Super Bowl, I think they beat Barry Sanders Poor Barry. and the lions in the NFC championship. Poor Barry. That's a, that sound right. All right. We've got four more games here. Houston Texans at the Denver Broncos Broncos favored by 10 here. This is the one man Denver's coming off the disappointment, but they're back home. They're back home in Denver. I'm not getting fooled by the Texans. I'm not getting fooled by the Texans playing week one tough. I like Denver by 10 here. What are you looking for in this one? Um, I So the let Russ cook narrative, you know, let him do it. Let him cook what he wants. It, it, it's starting to look like Russ just wants to make hot pockets, you know? And maybe that's the problem <laughs> is that, Okay, fine. You can let Russ cook all he wants, but all he's going to do is go to the freezer, grab something, and lob it in the microwave, and that's what you're going to get. Um, way to overreact. Way to overreact to week one. I don't think it's necessarily week one, though. Like We've seen this for a while now that Wilson hasn't been playing the way he used to play, and you know if you let him do what he wants to do, he's going to play the offense that he's created. I think that's the, that's the takeaway is that Russell Wilson plays the game in a way that works for Russell Wilson. And that my, my takeaway is Russ wants to make hot pockets. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, I won't forget that. No, I mean, it's what's, what's what it looking like right now. So I, I just, there isn't this world where you can take Russell Wilson, plug him into an offense that's better designed, and you're going to get this superstar player. And he's, he is what he is. And the high end of that is superstar caliber, but he's going to play the game the way he plays the game, which is risky, you know, and not necessarily that efficient. And if you're able to get the high end of, you know, variance in terms of make a play on third down or you're going to cause that offense some problems. And yeah, they shot themselves in the foot multiple times against Seattle. And that that's obviously unlikely to happen this week. You know, we talked about that with Cincinnati, but like this Russell thing is probably going to be a grind. It's um, it, it is feeling like his baseline of play is lower. Uh, the thing to forget that the, the thing to not forget about Russell Wilson is we used to always describe him and similar to how I describe Stafford is there'll be games. There'll be three games where nobody looks better than Russell Wilson. This guy looks incredible. I, I bet that's still in there somewhere, but a game like the other night, Monday night, a 54 grade for Russell Wilson. You didn't get many of those. His baseline was so much higher in Seattle. He would have a couple duds, couple games where he looked like the best quarterback in the nfl but the baseline the solid was, was solid was good and i do have concerns that russell wilson's baseline is, is just lower right now all that said 
here's my disappointing Denver Broncos road outing coming back home against the Houston Texans team. I'm thinking back to last year's trend where it's like, oh, they're playing tough and Davis Mills is better than we thought. And then they lose by 40 to Buffalo or whatever <laughs> it was. And I'm not I'm not getting suckered into that this year. I'm yeah. not getting suckered in. All right. So I'm taking Denver by 10. That's my analysis. I'm not getting suckered. Good, good on the Texans. They played a good game against the Colts last week, got the tie. But uh, I think Denver's a better team, a better roster. I love their pass rushers, what they did last week, Bradley Chubb, Randy Gregory. And uh, they're going to they're gonna get after Davis Mills in this one. All right. Um, yeah, I think they'll win. But I think the Texans can keep it close-ish. I think they can keep it within 10. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of buying this Houston thing. I don't think they're going to be good, but I think they're going to be tough. All right, you're taking Houston here? Yeah, covering 10. All right. Yeah, I got it. I've I've got a couple big spreads I'm I'm buying into this week. Apparently. I'm not ready for this one. Indianapolis Colts at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not ready for this. You know, the Colts, when was the last time they won in Jacksonville? 2014. And, you know, there's a, there a London game. And we just saw this matchup in week 18 last year. I was I was in the middle. I was I was swearing off the Jaguars. I'm saying no more. Done with the Jags, too. I can't, can't take the Jags. And here we go. We got this uh, Indianapolis going to Jacksonville where they trying to get the monkey off their back there. Oh, oh, and one Colts at the oh, and one Jaguars Colts favored by four in Jacksonville where they haven't won since the uh, since Blake Bortles rookie year. Somebody's always got to go unless they tie, in which case, unless they know, tie, in, case, in which case it doesn't. Gosh, I really want to see the Colts. Oh, oh, and two. On, on on Mina's podcast, you know, she was talking about how this is legitimately a must-win game for the Colts, even though it's week two. Um, yeah. And it kind of is in that it would be absurd if they went 0-2. On the other hand, this division looks like it might be a complete and total mess. And you, there, there might be no record that's bad enough to slump to in the first five weeks where you can't still come back and win the division. Yeah. I mean, it's the AFC South. How hard could it be? You, yeah, how hard could it be? You don't have must wins until like week seventeen. <laughs> yeah, the Colts had one must win last week, and they didn't, or last year, and they didn't Plus win it. it. They didn't win it. Uh, um, the Trevor Lawrence experience, man. I, I, I gotta see more. Yeah, that that was a. I don't like to say this is what this. I don't like to say this is what we saw last year. Therefore, we'll always see it. But there's there's certain things that happen in week one that just feel like same old, same old, or whatever we saw last year. And this was one of them, wasn't it? You know. Early on, Trevor Lawrence seems like, all right, throwing the ball all right. He's doing some good things. And then I I just want to see him go take over a game in the second half. I just, I want to see that from Trevor Lawrence. I want to see him make a comeback. I want to see him be the guy and cut back on some of the mistakes or the misses or whatever it is. And outside of a handful, like we have to, you have to pull out a handful of games or plays here and there from last year to, to get that kind of optimism. I, I got to see that from Trevor Lawrence sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's looked good yet in the NFL, really. The big thing for the Colts is that Shaquille, formerly Darius Leonard, was a full participation in practice most recently. So if he's back, I, I genuinely think that changes things to that defense, um, which without him, I think you sort of immediately look at it and go, wow, you know what? There's actually not that much talent across the board in this defense. Uh, but when he's there and forcing turnovers and, you know, punching the football out or, or intercepting passes, the defense looks a lot better. You know, it's like they're much more dangerous. Now, 
DeForest Buckner didn't participate in the most recent practice. So if they're swapping out their best player for their best player, that's not great. If they could get both those guys in the field at the same time, that would go a long way towards helping. But that, I think, could change things for Indianapolis. The other interesting thing is this Colts offensive line that's been so good for so many years might not be anymore. And Jacksonville, they don't have an elite pass rush or anything, but Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, is a good player. Um, Trayvon Walker is going to be a work in progress as the number one overall pick, but I think you're going to see a couple plays a game where you're just reminded that we've never seen an athlete like this on the field before. Like the interception was one of those plays. His sack was, that was one an of those amazing, plays. Uh, amazing interception. There really was. And people are like, oh, look, there's Carson Wentz, Carson Wensing again. But that that was all like that was all Walker. That was a crazy play. Um, but his sack was an elite athletic play as well. And look, Braden Smith is a good right tackle. But there's there might be a couple of plays in this game where Braden Smith is is sort of reminded that Trayvon Walker is literally a unique athlete. Never seen a guy with that composite before. The thing I struggle with Trayvon Walker, there are it's somebody in our comments said, Hey, I, I said he was Julius Peppers when he came out. And like, yeah, athletic profile, you could see that. Peppers, my my old guy, my guy Tony Brackens back in the day. There are these defensive ends who just uh TJ Watt did it on Sunday, who just like intercept passes that they're not supposed to yeah. uh, once or twice a year, batted passes, whatever it is. And Walker de- does that, and I love it. But Walker still doesn't win one-on-ones enough, right? They're like, you still don't have that aspect of it. Um, but you can obviously see all that potential. And if he keeps making game-changing plays, I think the Jags will be pretty excited. But that's the thing. It, like, he's not, he's not a particularly good pass rusher at the moment. But the idea is you'll be able to teach him that and you'll get there eventually. But even with his current state of not being a particularly good pass rusher, there's going to be a couple of plays a game where that doesn't matter, and he just reminds you that he's a better athlete than you are. You know, Most of the time, that's not really a factor in the NFL because everybody is a super athlete. But genuinely, he's the greatest athlete that's ever come along at the defensive end position, at the pass rusher position. He's, you know, he got comped to guys like Danell Hunter or Julius Peppers or whoever it is. None of those guys can match the complete breadth of his athletic uh, composite, the size, speed, arm length, uh, agility drills, explosive drills, everything was like 95th percentile. So a guy like Braden Smith, who's used to dealing with, you know, good athletes on a weekly basis, and he can block most of those guys, there might be one or two plays in this game where he's just reminded that Trayvon Walker is a different animal. And if that's all you get out of him right now, that might be fine. That might be enough because you're going to get a few pressures out of Josh Allen. You're going to get a couple of pressures out of Arden Key. Like they've got just enough as a group that it works. And that can expose this Indianapolis offensive line and make Matt Ryan look, you know, more like bad Matt Ryan. All this logic. I, I want to play with all the logic. I want to take the Jaguars, but it's the Jaguars. I've got the, the Jags who always let me down always. against the Colts going to Jacksonville. I'll get, I'm going to give the Jags one more week. Okay. One more week. As four-point underdogs, I think it's at least going to be a close game here. I'll take the Jags here. I am also taking the Jags. <sighs> just, just join me. They're going to disappoint. Colts are going to get their first win since 2014 or whatever it is. I hope that stat's right. I didn't check it. but I think you're right. Pretty sure that was the right one. All right, two more games. New York Jets at the Cleveland Browns. Man, Zach Wilson, he's, he's running around and throwing the ball and all that stuff, but he's not ready yet. Joe Flacco returning once again this week for the New York Jets. 
I don't think the Jets were a disaster last week. I think it was actually a step in the right direction in their loss against the Baltimore Ravens. And then the Browns, uh, game-winning field goal against the Panthers in an ugly game. But the Browns by six and a half. Is that, is that too many points in this game? The the Jets losing by 15 points was a step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, because it's like a, it's just like a deep ball late that really – it was a, it was a closer game than the 15. <laughs> That's not fair? No, it's, a, it's fine. Um, they I, didn't get destroyed on the ground. Like there were games last year where they were so bad. Yeah. I, I'm quite concerned about their offensive line at the moment though. They've been beat up by injuries and the guys that are left standing are not necessarily in great shape. Um, Lake and Tomlinson had a terrible game for the big free, the big money free agent acquisition to come in and, you know, play on the offensive line. He got wrecked. He gave up eight pressures in that game. Yeah. He had a run blocking grade in the 30s. I mean, that was that was as well, bad a debut as you're going to find. Well, speaking of model guys, the top defensive interior player, according to the model that year, was Justin Matabuike from the Ravens. And that was the guy that took it to Lake and Tomlinson last week. Uh, That's why. Uh, there you go. Um, but the other thing is, remember, so it was a little bit weird when they signed Lake and Tomlinson because they already had Elijah Vera Tucker who'd played – that position um, last year, right, left guard, and they flipped, you know, they had to flip one of them, obviously. So Vera Tucker was the guy. That, but my point being, Lakin Tomlinson got to stay at the position where he was playing well for the 49ers, and I, I don't know, look, it's a one-game sample size, maybe he just had a crappy day. But, but Kyle Shanahan has always gotten superior performances out of offensive linemen than they have elsewhere. I understand this is still a Shanahan system, theoretically, but I do wonder if you're going to get the same Lakin Tomlinson as you got with the 49ers. Same thing as Max Mitchell has to step in at right tackle. Uh, he was a guy, you know, graded well at Louisiana. Yeah. He's a fourth round pick, but he had his struggles at the senior bowl when it came to pass protection. Like you could just kind of tell, like I, Max Mitchell's another guy I liked as a mid round draft pick that could develop in a few years. Yeah. I just don't know if he's ready at the moment, and, you know, size wise, yeah. strength wise. And when you have Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett on the other side, yeah. That's going to be trouble, I think, for the Jets. Yeah, he's just really working against, you know, physical limitations, certainly at the moment. Maybe he's a classic candidate of a guy that can add size, weight, or strength, or whatever. But right now, he's undermanned when it comes to the physicality that's that's going to be involved. So I worry quite a lot about this Browns offensive, or the Jets offensive line, and think they might be in trouble just because of that. My, my issue with the six and a half, and I, I think I'm probably going to take the Browns, my issue with the six and a half, though, is Jacoby. a Jacoby Brissett-led led offense where he is so conservative and yeah. the underneath stuff. And it, I, Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback of a team favored by six and a half. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's my struggle. Um, I, I understand the matchups that we're talking about. I, I, might go the, I might go with the Jets here in part because of that. Flacco wasn't that bad last week and. I don't know what else what he has to offer in the NFL right now, but I, again, I think the rest of the Jets roster outside of the offensive line is much improved, mm -hmm. and the lines just beat up by injuries. So and I think the Jets are going to be much more competitive this year. And the Browns, I don't want to say they played down to the Panthers, but they just played a they did a nice job defensively yeah. outside of a couple of coverage busts, but offensively it wasn't the most inspiring performance by the Browns. And the Jets' defense did a really nice job against Baltimore's run game. Like the Ravens only averaged 3.3 .3 yards per carry as a team, three of which came after contact. Um, the, the, like if the Jets were able to do anything like that kind of job against Cleveland's offense, 
like, and you're actually going to need Jacoby Brissett to step up and make some plays, then I find it really difficult to buy into six and a half. Oh, man. I think I'm going to take the Browns because I'm banking on Flacco playing poor under pressure. The, yeah. the pressure is going to get to him. I'm just, talking myself back into the Browns. I don't know that it's the Browns offense that's going to do it. I think the defense is going to force some short fields and uh, there's going to be some some Flacco turnovers, some Sam saying, you're Joe Flacco. Like that's going to happen this week. Yeah, I just talked myself around in a full circle. I was willing, I was ready to buy into the Browns. And then you really reminded me that there's just no way I can bet on Jacoby Brissett and six and a half points. <laughs> and Jacoby's one of your guys. One of your like, I like to watch him guys, right? Yeah, which is very different to, you know, Jacoby's good. I want to make that clear. Like, I, Jacoby Brissett is one of the more entertaining players to watch for me in the NFL. But it's not because he's good. It's because the way he's bad is just funny. And it's hilarious to watch. It's not, not even bad. Bad's good. unfair. The way he is mediocre is funny to watch. Yeah, just speak with some respect for the NFL players here. They're all awesome. They're all great Everybody's in the grand great. scheme of things. The NFL right. is one giant participation trophy. Everybody yes, here every, is a winner. Everybody's good. Everybody's Tom Brady. They're all the goats. All right. I'm taking Cleveland. You're taking the Jets. I, I feel good about this week. I feel good about my picks. I think I'm going to, I'm 13 and three week coming in here, I think for me okay. at least. Uh, last game to go through Carolina Panthers at the New York Giants. Giants are favored by two. You're one to no Giants. It looked, you know, they're down 13 to nothing. It's like, ah, oh, it's just the bad Giants again. Before you know it, they're winning 21 to 20. Uh, Daniel Jones, you know, creating some big plays. Saquon Barkley gets NFC Offensive Player of the Week for whatever that's worth, but the dude looked <laughs> explosive and creating some big plays. Yeah, I mean, Saquon being back looks is great for the Giants. Um, I think their offensive line is is an issue, but Daniel Jones, okay, the bad play for the interception, but Jones was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league in Week One. He had a very high sort of average per attempt figure, which is usually if you have a guy that's not necessarily playing that well, but the, uh, the yards per attempt figure is pretty high, it usually means the rest of the offense is clicking pretty well. So I think this idea of Daniel Jones can be the guy for Brian Dayball and it look okay. You know, I'm not saying he'll convince him he's his future or anything, but like the thing won't be a shit show with Daniel Jones as the quarterback. I think that there's, I think there's merit there. And I think the Giants might actually be reasonable on offense this year. Yeah, I think it was encouraging, man. I mean, this Giants offense is one of those on paper I've been wanting to see for the last couple of years because it looked like they had a decent receiving core. And when you when you look when you have an explosive running back on top of that, that's where it that's where it shows up. It's like, all right, you got to cover all these receivers, and then every check down can become a big play, screen game, whatever it might be. We might start to see some of that with the Giants with a healthy Saquon Barkley. Um, other side, Carolina Panthers. That offense, again, it was what we just talked about with the Browns. It was Really difficult to move the ball for Carolina outside of just a couple big plays that that snuck in there. Carolina's offense did not inspire confidence whatsoever, but defensively, the thing that they've been building these last couple of years, I thought looked pretty good, and it's going to keep them in a lot of games this year. Let me give you my narrative after that swung completely after one week. So last week it was, you know, pissed off Baker Mayfield is going to take it to the Browns. He's going to blowtorch them. He's going to get revenge. And that's going to ruin everything for the Browns. Um, Miles Garrett made sure that wasn't going to happen. Now, number one, the Giants don't have a Miles Garrett. So even if Vicky Aquino is no better this week, it's going to look a lot better because he's not going to be getting his ass handed to him every other snap by Garrett. Now, what I think is, 
I think the chip on the shoulder Baker Mayfield is a real thing. I think Baker Mayfield is like, um, what's the guy's name from White Man Can't Jub? Sydney, Sydney something? Sydney Dean. Sydney, he's like Sydney Dean, right? He plays better when he's pissed off. Pissed off Baker Mayfield is better than non-pissed off Baker Mayfield. But Baker Mayfield is also fragile under pressure. And I don't mean physical pressure of Miles Garrett. I mean mental pressure, you know? So the pressure got too much for him, and Miles Garrett got too much for him. And Baker wasn't able to get it done against the Browns last week, right? The, the moment just got too big for him, and pissed off Baker Mayfield couldn't get it, get it done. This week, all the pressure's gone, you know? You didn't get it done against the, against, the Giant, or against the Browns. You lost your opportunity to get revenge on the team that stuck it to you. Now this is just some crappy week against the Giants. So on the crappy week against the Giants, it doesn't mean anything. Baker's going to go nuts and put up 300 yards and four touchdowns. That, that's what you think is going to happen? Uh-huh. You just like to talk yourself into the ways that you're going to predict something good for Baker Mayfield. No, I'm not. Like, if Baker, if he plays like crap this week again, then I'm just out. I'm done. You're out. But, but I, you'll, I, you'll never believe in Baker. I'll never believe in the Jags. We've got a lot of riding yeah. on this week but, here. But the pressure last week was too much for him. This week, there's no pressure, so we're going to see him go off. Speaking of pressure, the Giants, Wink Martindale, new defensive coordinator over there. They third third highest blitz rate in the NFL last week. So the Giants are going to get after the Carolina Panthers. So if he doesn't trust his offensive line, which by the way, I, they were good. I mean, they were good other than than Iki Aquanu. They played a good game across the board. Um, it doesn't. I don't know if you see that or feel that from the quarterback position necessarily. If one guy's getting whooped all the time, like yeah. you feel like you're under pressure more, but. Uh, the rest of the line did play better, but they're going to be um, under legit heat as far as you know. There, there's there's extra rushers coming. You gotta you gotta pick it up. You gotta set your protections and find open receivers. And I think that's going to be a challenge here for uh, for the Panthers. So, all that said, Giants favored by two on their way to two and zero here. Sam, no, Baker, three hundred yards, four touchdowns, and a win on the road. All right, yeah, I'm going Carolina too. I liked I liked the way they're D played. I think they'll have some success up front against the Giants' offensive line. I don't think Daniel Jones put up the whatever yards per attempt he put up last week. It was big, but yeah, I'll take Carolina. All right, because you said Baker Mayfield's going to do great in this random game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll see. Well, that's it, man. 16 games, well previewed, under two hours. And uh, trying to improve on pawn my five and eleven record here. Week two, though, week two is where I shine. Okay, all right. Well, look, it's everyone. Week one is a weird week. It happens to it happens to a lot of teams, right? Look yeah. at the Tennessee Titans. Every, everyone has a bad game week one sometimes. My favorite axiom that shows up every year. It's like, oh, you you make the biggest improvement between week one and two. And it's like every fan base tells themselves that. It's more of like a college football axiom. Like, oh, you you improve the most between week one and two. It's like, well, then. Don't the other teams too? <laughs> Does everybody? That's good analysis. Yeah, all right. All right, man. Everybody enjoy week two. We'll be back on Monday morning reviewing all of the week two action. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Hit that thumbs up button on the way out. Thanks, guys.